Is repeal and replace real or just so much political guerrilla dust? What will change in the near term and what will it do to our industry in the long term? We'll find out on this special post-election edition of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we welcome back our resident expert on all things political and regulatory, Jessica Waltman, who is a principal at Forward Health Consulting, and we thought being post-election and being the end of the year, it would be a good idea to do a special edition. Jess usually visits us quarterly. This is a special added bonus, and talk a little bit about some of the things that are in the news and some of the things that are happening, um, how they might affect our industry and what it looks like going forward. So with that, welcome, Jessica. Thanks. It's great to be back. So let's start with the 800-pound gorilla. Is repeal and replace a real thing? Or was it just great stump rhetoric? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, we've been talking about repeal and replace for you know close to seven years now. It's definitely stump rhetoric, and in that seven years, we haven't you know the Republicans haven't come up with a replacement plan that they completely agree on. But now we do have the reality of the opportunity, and certainly you have both Senate and House leadership committing to make it their top priority post-inauguration, and it's clearly at the top of the agenda for the Trump administration. So with that, what are the strategies and tactics that you see emerging, and what do you think might be successful? Well, I think on a symbolic front, you are going to definitely see some congressional action right away. We're recording this in you know, mid-December or early to mid-December and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has already announced his intention to schedule a repeal vote on a resolution on January 3rd or thereabouts. So right after the new year, right after the new Congress is sworn in. But that will let, you know, largely be a symbolic measure. It'll just be a resolution with their intent to move forward on repeal. You have Speaker Ryan also saying that the House is going to act similarly right following the inauguration. But the question then remains, you know, how will they structure the repeal and what will they do to create some type of transition given the fact that a replacement plan isn't done yet? And that's where you see a wide, wide range of opinions and policies being put forward and people kind of staking out right now where they are going to be on that time frame, how it's going to work, and what they'd like to see moving forward. And I don't think we have decisions yet. And yet, as you say, there's got to be some kind of a transition. I mean, one of the things that we're starting to hear about is that whatever ends up getting done will not 
impact folks until after the 2018 midterms. Are you hearing that? Is that a smart strategy or do they need to actually do something where people can can feel a difference sooner than that? Well, I think that there's two kind of types of thought on that. So first of all, you have the Freedom Caucus House Republicans saying that they are going to oppose a long transition period and they want something to take place before, you know, we go into open enrollment for 2018. You have other kind of prominent conservative thought leaders pushing that way. A guy that I know and he tweets a lot. He does a lot of blogging. He's worked on the Hill. He's worked for various think tanks named Chris Jacobs is out there pushing an agenda right now where he wants to stop halt subsidies and enrollment in the exchanges immediately. And he doesn't want to have a special enrollment period just to save money. And you know he just wants to, to stop it right now rather than to move ahead. On the flip side, and, and there's you know a lot of people that support that idea and think that we need to make a dramatic statement right now. We need to save money. We need to take action quickly. On the flip side, you have others saying, you know, two, three-year transition. You have Senator Tom Barrasso, who is not only, you know, on the health committee and the finance committee, but also a medical doctor saying he's committed to bipartisan reform. He's looking at two to three years. He's looking at the 2018 election map where 25 Democratic senators are running for re-election and only eight Republican senators and 25 of those you know, out of those 25 Democrats, 10 of them come from states that Trump won. And he's saying, you know, we're going to be able to work with those people. And I want to have something long and thoughtful and come up with something that appeals to both sides. So you kind of have those two very different trains of thoughts. The other thing that I, at least some people are looking at, and I think is a very, very smart, I mean, our industry certainly understands this, is the market reality. I mean, even when Obamacare was passed, we had the six-month reforms, you know, the September 23rd reforms that took place six months following the passage of the bill because you just couldn't put things in place immediately. And most of those, you know, immediate reforms really did cause significant havoc to the marketplace. And so did the early reforms, just like the MLR. I mean, they were all conceived on and imposed on policies that had been approved, filed, put in place by employers without this ever being contemplated. And it caused huge disruption. So kind of the same thing with repeal. I mean, you have processes and policies already in place. You can't make huge changes to rates that are already filed, to policies that have already been sold without causing great disruption. Even if it's for ultimately for the good, it's very unsettling to the market, which you know hurts the economy overall. And, and you know businesses don't like uncertainty, so there is some point to saying we are going to phase this in. We're going to tell businesses what to do, what to expect, individual consumers what to do and what to expect. We're not going to pull the rug out from under them right away. You know you can talk all you want about whether it would help coverage, hurt coverage, you know, reduce or increase the number of uninsured, reduce or increase prices. But bottom line, that uncertainty you know, an insurance marketplace, which is grounded on predictable risk is not the best thing, right? Is it too early to start picking sides in that battle and as to who's going to prevail or do you think it may end up being some kind of a a mix of the two, if that's even possible? It sounds kind of like oil and water. Yeah, it is, I think, a little early to see who will win out. And particularly in this 
administration where, you know, unpredictability is really their hallmark, right? So I think it's something that we really need to watch and see and, and hope that, you know, like many things that meeting in the middle is probably a little bit more of the way to go. You know, maybe you don't need a three or four year transition, but maybe you do need to do something that at least keeps things in place for the current plan year and then phases things in as we move forward. And again, it's not like we necessarily have something ready to go. There are various replacement packages that have been floated in the house. The Freedom Caucus has, you know, the ideas that they like, but they're not tested. The regulatory framework doesn't, you know, reach under them. So, you know, we just don't really know if we have something. Another thing that it could be a strategy, and I don't know that the Trump administration is going to go for it, but it's something that I think would be an, an important strategy and something that they should at least strongly consider would be, you know, putting in a replace, a repeal plan maybe right away, like they plan to do with a, with a replacement strategy that, that tails out, you know, however many years or how they work that remains to be seen. But then also looking at pieces of the law that may be targeted for immediate repeal or much faster repeal. So to kind of give some quick benefit, for example, repeal of just the MLR provisions. And I'm not talking about the you know, broker-specific provisions relative to commissions, but just the MLR itself was added into the law very late. It's not really necessarily tied to a lot of the other provisions of the law, so it lifts out fairly easily. And that would have a huge impact on the pricing of insurance in the markets for really all fully insured products, individual, small group, and fully insured large group policies. I mean, that could have a very big impact on the issuers, on competition, it would have an impact on employers because they wouldn't have to deal with the drama of the rebates and what to do about them. So something like that could be a targeted quick lift out. And there's other things that might be targeted that we could do quickly. Also, with the regulatory framework, I think it's really important to craft the repeal so that the Trump administration can go in and look at the regulatory framework that supports it now and make that a lot easier because, you know, lots being said what he can do with regulations, but it's really much more complicated than many people realize. And you have to have a statute, you have to have a roof to the house, and then the regulations are the walls and the the studs that hold up the roof. And so you can make those supporting beams and walls a lot simpler than what they are right now. But you can't if you blow the whole roof off the house, you know, right away and, and just demolish the whole thing. And when you do that, you can have some pretty destructive impact on the market. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years experience working with educational institutions. And over that time, They've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network 
so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. The Bureau of Labor Statistics recently reported that employment among medical and health service managers, the folks who essentially ensure compliance, has increased almost 32% since 2011. So there's plenty of regulation to go around because those folks are really busy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's lots of things that I think the Trump administration could do right away that would make a huge impact on business that they could you know, declare us a win. And some of them relate directly to the ACA and some don't. So just as an example, the Obama administration proposed a gigantic expansion of the Form 5500 process, extending it down to, you know, small groups of all sizes. And, you know, even fully insured groups of two would have to file a 5500 and provide data that they don't really have today. It would just be enormously expensive and complicated for them. And then they would drastically expand the reporting requirements for groups that have to file a 5500 now. And that is just pending out there. It was just proposed. It has not been finalized. The Trump administration could just put that on the shelf and have it go away. And that would be a huge win for businesses, which is something that the Clinton administration, a Clinton administration, had there been one, would have almost certainly finalized. So you could do things like that. But you could also look at the ACA regulations as they exist today. If you are going to have an employer mandate that kind of tails out or an individual mandate that kind of tails out for a year or two, you could make the rules for, say, employer reporting much, much simpler, but you have to give yourself the legal room to do so. And when you structure the repeal bill, you want to make sure that the Trump administration has to do that because you can't just go in and change things via executive order or regulation. You have to have a statute or a law that gives you the authority, or it has to be something that's under the authority of the federal government already. So, you know, for example, President Obama wanted to increase the minimum wage. He couldn't, via executive order, just increase the minimum wage for everyone, but he could do it for federal workers and for contracted people. You know, they wanted to make changes to health plans relative to discrimination provisions. And so they issued the non-discrimination rule and they were able to get at health plans that get money from HHS. They couldn't get every health plan, but they could touch anybody that got any source of money from HHS because that's in their line of authority. So the Trump administration could similarly undo things, make things simpler, make things easier, but they need a line of authority to do it. And so that's why it's important to really craft the repeal provisions correctly so they give themselves that room to make things easier for us up front. So we've talked a little bit about unpredictability, both in markets and in the regulatory and legislative environment. But there's one element where some folks are just melting down because they think it's all too predictable. And that's the appointment of Dr. Tom Price to HHS. And they're going back and looking at his Empowering Patients First Act which, as I recall, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, relies on fixed value tax credits and some other mechanisms. Is that a concern? How much of that stuff do you think will make it into what ultimately comes out? And what do you think about Dr. Price as a choice for HHS? Well, Dr. Price is a great person. He's super smart. He is a 
you know, a doctor is an orthopedic surgeon. He has a long history, not only as, as a medical doctor, but also as the owner of a medical practice. So he comes at it also from a small business owner's perspective. He has legislative experience, you know, dating back to his Georgia days. And then now he has a great relationship with lots of other people on the Hill. He kind of bridges that definitely has a very conservative bent and ties to some of the most conservative house members, but also, you know, works very well with leadership and with other people. And I think he has a good relationship with Vice President-elect Pence and then other people on the Senate side. So, and, you know, he's a creature of the House. And so he understands how that process works. And, you know, some of the concerns with the Trump administration is that you're going to bring in a bunch of people that don't have a lot of government experience. So like the pros there is that Dr. Price definitely has a lot of government experience and then also practical on the ground experience. So that's all really great. But as you know... The bill that he has been championing relies on a lot of health policy ideas. And Tom Price isn't the only person that is kind of relying on these old school ideas. I think on both sides of the aisle, we kind of have a policy dearth for health policy. So we have not a lot of new innovative ideas being circulated. There was effort today by kind of a value-based care coalition that exists in, in DC to say, hey, you know, you don't want to undo a lot of the things that the Obama administration did relative to incenting value-based purchasing, both in federal programs and then that has bled over to the private market. Those are innovative new policy ideas that help us control the cost of medical care. You need to be looking in that direction. You need to not be repealing and changing some of the new things that we've put in that are working. We need to be moving more in that direction. So hopefully, Dr. Price, as he moves forward at HHS, and then the Trump administration generally kind of capitalizes on what won them the election, that movement in the country that politics as usual isn't working, and maybe we can apply some of that to health policy because, you know, as you know, we, we, we talk about this all the time. It's not the cost of health insurance that's the problem. It's the cost of medical care. And maybe as we move forward, we can focus a little bit more on that. No question. I mean, you know, Joel Barker in his great book, Future Edge, talking about paradigms, talked about how new paradigms are always brought by paradigm pioneers. They're not generally brought by the folks who built the old paradigm or who participated in it because they got too much at stake to let go. Do you see any paradigm pioneers on the forefront, folks that you've encountered who are just new thinkers and who are willing to start talking about instilling new ideas in the marketplace beyond reference-based pricing? Well, you know, we're mixed and we're just getting some of the top appointments right now. And I think when you start seeing sub-appointments, that's very important too. You know, on one hand, you have someone like Tom Price who is kind of the consummate insider, you see a lot of people being appointed to the HHS transition team. I you saw Ed Hasselmeyer from the Heritage Foundation, who um, is a very old hand in conservative health policy politics, just got appointed. Um, Maggie Wynn, who's a longtime HHS staffer, kind of a practical, knows where all the bodies are buried. Um, she had been in, in um, working privately and but has come back from being in the Bush administration. You see other people like that that are being appointed to um, kind of advisor positions. So that kind of steers you back to old policy. But then you also see some new people put in. And um, Seema Burma 
from Indiana is an interesting person because she had worked for Governor Mitch Daniels and Governor Mike Pence on their Medicaid purse program. She's going to be the head of CMS if she's confirmed. And so that, of course, is in charge of not only Medicaid and Medicare, but also a lot of the private health insurance market you know, reform components of the ACA, including the exchanges, but also you know, regulations that really affect all fully insured plans in the United States. That will all fall under her purview. And she really was innovative and worked on waivers, um, you know, getting Indiana a, a Medicaid waiver, you know, focusing on consumer directed care, really the first person to do that, and then helped Governor Pence kind of move forward with the 2.0 of that, which can, you know, is, is kind of exciting. You have other people in his environment that are being brought in from the business community that may be able to make something happen. I saw today he appointed a woman who I've never met before, but her name is Veronica Birkenstock to the labor transition team. But I thought what was, was interesting in terms of the perspective she might bring was her last position was being in charge of a temp agency. And she worked with like a huge temp agency that supplies workers to, I think, the hospitality industry particularly. So she would, I think, have a lot of interesting information and thoughts about things that affect a lot of employers today that are very complicated, like the compliance issues and employer reporting and the structure of a health plan and how that all works. So if you bring some practical business people in and balance them with some old hands, you know, the potential is to do something great. Another interesting connection I thought and I found fascinating that's tied back to President-elect Trump. A lot of people talk about his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and how he has, you know, is, is seemingly very influential. And Jared Kushner's brother is Josh Kushner, who is the founder of the new health insurance company, Oscar, that came online post-ACA, you know, completely targeted in New York, started out in New York City to work with the exchanges, work with the marketplace, work with individual consumers, trying to break into the group business, works with brokers, but has struggled because of the ACA, you know, costs, the reinsurance issues, and, you know, a lot of things like that. You would think that having someone that close with that degree of connection could be really interesting and influential in a Trump administration. So, you know, I think it really remains to be seen, but the pieces are there for it to be great. And then there's the pieces are there for it to maybe rely back on policies that have been, you know, being considered and not being enacted since the, you know, the early 2000s. So remains to be seen. We'll probably get a little vote. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.